can't tell you uh, what a privilege and an honor it is to be here this morning to uh, deliver the word. And I genuinely am humbled by this opportunity. Um, and I want to thank Chad and Chris and the rest of the lead staff for allowing a simple layman like me to deliver the word this morning. And the, and the topic that we're going to be talking about is, is one that is very dear to my heart, and that's the topic of prayer. Um, and there's a lot of little ideas that we're going to try to unpack this morning. But the major doctrine I want to introduce to you is that prayer helps us to know God as he checks up on us. And he reveals our true desires and leads us into a deeper knowledge of him and who we are in him. And there's this idea that is, that is all throughout scripture and, and it's just a well-known idea throughout church history. We've seen so many different theologians and church fathers who would express this, that our prayer life is very much attached to our spiritual health. Um, and so I want to kind of struggle through this idea this morning. And so we can, we can put up fronts pretty easily. Um, we, can, we can come to church, we can act like everything's okay, we can, uh, we can deceive lots of other people, we can deceive ourselves, surely, right? Um, but we can't deceive the Lord. And, and when you're talking about prayer and what it does to you as a Christian, um, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, I honestly can't think of a more important spiritual discipline than prayer. And that's not to take anything away from um, studying scripture or, or, or any of those other spiritual disciplines. Those are all wonderful. But I truly believe, and I will argue, that it culminates in prayer. Um, if you're a Christian and you're not praying, something is wrong, right? Um, and so I want to kind of lead us through this idea. And this is a, a quote from Murray McShyan. He says, What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. I want you to think about that. So, so much of our spiritual identity is tied to our prayer life. Um, and I love that idea that we can, we can come up with all sorts of things and ideas as to who we are, but when we're actually praying, that is the revelation of who we actually are, okay? And so I want you to have that concept in your mind um, as we get going this morning. Uh, and the topic of prayer is, is, is something that we all are, you know, acquainted with to some level. And you would think that after two decades of being a Christian and over 10 years of public ministry that I would have learned how to pray before last winter. Um, but I can honestly say that my journey of learning to pray really began last winter as I was reading through two books, um, one by J.I. Packer and one by Timothy Keller. Um, and it was the beginning of, of my journey to pray uh, was the reading of those books. The reading of those books isn't what got me there. It was actually committing my life to um, a life of prayer that truly changed me. And that in part is what I want to share with you guys this morning. Because I think a lot of times we have a little bit of a misconception as to what prayer is. And sometimes we think that as long as we have good intentions, um, that'll get us there. Um, but I'm going to argue that, that that's not enough. And I want to kind of unpack some ideas around that. Um, and what does it look like to pray? Um, why should we pray? Um, and I'm reminded of the story of the old Kentucky pastor who uh, had, a, had a man in his congregation pass away. And he had a friend who played the bagpipe. And he says, will you come play and honor my friend um, at his, his graveside service? And the bagpipe player agrees. He says, yes, absolutely, I would love to do that. So tell me when and where. So they, they get, the, get the information, and the bagpipe player is making his way out there to uh, play for this gentleman who had passed away. And now he's in rural Kentucky, and he gets, he gets lost. Now he's desperately late, and he's concerned that he's not going to make it there on time. And sure enough, he makes it there, but he is so late. Everyone is already gone. The only people who are left are the gravediggers who are just finishing up filling in the grave. 
But the bagpipe player says, you know what, I'm gonna honor my friend, I'm gonna honor my word, I'm gonna go play for this guy, even if there's no one else here except for these grave diggers. And so he gets out his bagpipe, he goes over and he starts to play and he plays Amazing Grace. And he's getting into it and he is, he is weeping. And the, and the grave diggers who are filling in the grave, they join in around him, they're singing Amazing Grace and they're weeping. And it's this intense, intimate moment. And the bagpipe player simply puts his stuff away and he walks away and doesn't say anything to anyone. And the lead grave digger says to his co-workers, he says, that is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. And I've been installing septic tanks for over 20 years. <laughs> and so that's the idea that a lot of times good intentions, good intentions take us so far, but they're not quite enough, right? And in, in, that, in that funny little story, that guy thought he did what he needed to do, didn't he? He thought he showed up. He thought he fulfilled his commitment. But he hadn't in reality, even though his intentions were wonderful, right? And so that's a major idea I want us to have in our, in our hearts and in our minds is that intentions are good, but they don't quite get us there. Because here's the deal. Our hearts are deceptive, okay? Our hearts lie to us. We lie to ourselves about who we are. And I want you to think about the most crooked person you could ever think about. Someone who is a habitual liar, someone you wouldn't trust um, three blocks down. Think about that person. Do you have that person in your mind? Now, I would recommend that you trust that person at least 10 times more than you trust your own heart. Scripture all throughout says that the heart is deceptive. All over, Scripture says to guard your heart. Why? Because it's the core of who we are, but the core of who we are, we lie to ourselves, don't we? We like to think a lot of great things about ourselves and about 10% of them are true, right? And so we're kind of in this predicament, but what prayer does is prayer forces us to take a spiritual inventory. It, takes us, it makes us take notes, set goals, and to watch how God moves through our white hot unrelenting prayers, okay? But I wanna ask you, do you have that right now? Do you have white hot unrelenting prayers? Can you say that? And, and, and if you can't, I'm with you. I, I, was, I was there um, as well and I'm, I'm no way I have arrived yet. I am still learning. But what I learned was that my prayers were not white hot unrelenting prayers. What I learned is that my prayers were pretty weak. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. So I want to kind of share some ideas this morning to help us get through that. I mean, there's a, there's a major concept um, that is presented by uh, John C. Ryle. He says that praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Think about that. Praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. And he goes on to say that, that prayer will, will choke out sin or sin will be choking out prayer. Okay, and we're gonna open that idea up a little bit more. But the main idea I want us to, to wrestle with this morning is the meantime. In between God's, um, us supplicating and us asking things of God and God answering is the meantime, all right? And there's something wonderful to be learned through that meantime. And so I wanna, I wanna lead us through three major ideas. What is prayer? How do we pray? And then really, why should we pray? Um, so when we start talking about what is prayer, we've got a lot of different ideas as to what prayer is, don't we? Well, first off, we have to, we have to start with that it's a dialogue, information going both ways. And it's a conversation, really. And this is something that I had to wake up to in my journey as I was beginning to learn how to pray again. And, and, and I, I realized that I wasn't allowing enough time 
for God to speak. Now, I know that sounds really basic, but I think a lot of times when we pray, and this is how I was praying, I would give God my request. I would tell him my concerns, all my emotions, and all of these things, but I would not stop and let him speak to me. And so if we pray like that, the philosopher Immanuel Kant's statement that telling an all-knowing being what he already knows is pointless, that starts to make sense, doesn't it? And so we start to think, well, why should we pray? Why should we tell God anything? What, what are we doing there? But if we just stop there and just think that, you know what? I'm going to tell him everything and then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to see what happens. You know, a lot of times we approach prayer with that theological principle that um, God has the solution worked out and that my role really is to bring these concerns to him and to see how he does it, see how he works it out. But I would argue that while that theological principle is true, that we are to bring our supplications to the Lord. We are to bring our concerns, our emotions, to bring all of that to him. And we should look for the ways in which he answers our prayers. But if we stop there, then our prayers will be crippled because we're not stopping and allowing enough time for God to speak to us. And then it's no longer a dialogue. Now we're starting to talk about um, one-way communication, all right? And so in the meantime, there's things that God wants to teach us. Uh, and you know, my father used to tell me, if you're speaking, you can't be listening. Did any of your, any of your dads ever say that to you? And it's a true principle, right? If you're speaking, it's pretty hard for you to listen. The same is true of prayer. If all you're doing is just the speaking, and you're not doing any listening, then you're kind of in trouble. Because when we start to look at prayer as a good indicator of our spiritual health, and we start to say, what does our prayers look like? Am I allowing time for God to speak in the meantime? Or even if you ask the question, do I love to pray? And if you can't say that you love to pray, that may be an indication of your spiritual debility. All right, there's, there's so much tied up in this idea. So um, prayer is a lot of things, uh, and it is a dialogue, and at times it's private and at times it's corporate, okay? And in our corporate prayers, we have to recognize that they are a byproduct of our private prayers. If you don't have white-hot, unrelenting private prayers, there is never going to be white-hot, unrelenting corporate prayers. And so just as God has got something to say to you in your private meantime, He's got something to say to us in our corporate meantime. In that time between our asking and God's answering is the meantime, okay? And in your private prayers, you should be wrestling. What is God teaching me? What is he showing me? What is he telling me about me and him in this time? But corporately, we ask the same question. What is God teaching us in this meantime? All right, now a lot of people will say, well, well you know how God answers prayers? He'll say yes, no, or not yet. And I'm not going to say that that's completely off. That, is, that can be the case sometimes, but I'll argue um, one step further. And I would say that sometimes God says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he answers our prayers completely differently. Okay? And it's this idea that he answers our prayers as if we would have asked for the things that we would ask for if we knew what he knows. Do you get that? So we're not even really able to pray right. Um, and so we have to let this meantime kind of mess with us a little bit. And I love the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 starts off in the month of Cheslev, okay? 
And what happens is that Nehemiah gets word that Jerusalem is in bad shape and everyone is, is concerned, right? The walls are broken down, it's been burnt. And Nehemiah's heart is broken over the matter. And if you see what happens is that he starts fasting and he weeps and then he goes into prayer. And you see the model of his prayer is he starts with confession, personal confession, and then corporate confession. And then he goes on to uh, admiration. He starts to admire the Father, okay? Uh, and then he starts to supplicate. Then he starts to ask. And there's uh, a whole lot that can be said about that. But then the next thing we see is chapters two starts, and it says that it's in the month of Nisan now. Now, scholars, we, uh, we all like to debate and, and argue, and you know, we always find something to disagree about, right? Uh, and so there's some disagreement about how long there is between the month of Cheslev and the month of Nisan, all right, and where, what this order is. But there's at least four months, scholars will agree, that there's at least four months has passed between the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, okay? Let's just, let's just agree on that. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you read through the scripture too quickly, you will miss that. And it'll start to look like as soon as Nehemiah prayed, God answered him. But he didn't. There was a meantime in Nehemiah's life of at least four months. And you know what happened in that meantime? God caused that concern in Nehemiah's heart to grow. It grew so much that it ended up showing on his face when he didn't even want it to, Right? And that's an amazing thing, that in the meantime, God has things to show us, but he's also going to test us. He's going to test our concerns, and he's going to make them grow. And so what we see is through the ordering of natural events, through private and corporate prayer, in the case of Nehemiah, God orders it so that through the natural events, the prayer would be answered. Nehemiah is in a hopeless position, isn't he? He's a cupbearer to the king. How many days off do you think the cupbearer gets? None. The king eats every day, doesn't he? So he's in a hopeless position that he cannot leave his job to go rebuild the wall. And he can't engineer any solution. It's only by the providence of God that he's going to get out of this. And so we see months and months of unrelenting prayer. And then God answers it through the ordering of natural events. And I would argue that that's primarily how God answers prayers. No miracle shows up in this case, okay? What happens? The king says, you look down. The only way your face could look like that is if you're sick or you're sad of the heart and you're not sick. What's going on? And, and, and he gets to supplicate, doesn't he? He gets to tell him. And then God blesses that situation. But there's so much to learn from the example of Nehemiah in the, in, in the meantime. And, and I will argue that prayer is a kind of searching. You know, God starts to check up on us. Uh, he starts to ask us things. And, and I, I love... Um, I love what uh, the theologian and author J.R. Packer says about prayer. He says, when we're asking, God is asking us questions about our asking. Why do you ask for this? How serious does this matter to you? And how deep does your concern go? Why do you think that what you ask for is in line with my will? And is there something other than this very thing you ask for now that would satisfy equally? Tell me. Do you see that? But if you don't allow time for that, your prayers will be very, very one-sided. So when you're asking, don't forget, God's gonna be asking you about your asking, and he's gonna test you. And one of the wonderful things that God does whenever he's checking up on us, he checks up on our Christ-like wisdom, okay? And our faith, and our repentance, and how they've combined to make us clear-headed about our goals. What are your goals in life? 
I mean, just think about that. What are your goals in life? What's the end goal? What do you want to do? Think about that. Is that in line with the will of God? Now, I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm not up here saying that I've got that figured out. But that's part of that wrestling through the meantime. When God checks up on you, he starts to say, why? Why? And that's one of the things that I learned as I started to learn how to pray again is that when God would give me reports, they were painful. And he's checking up on me still. The reports are still painful. But you know what? You can grow through that. But you will miss all of that if you only see prayer as telling God things. And so prayer is a kind of searching. Um, And and this is uh, one of the effective things that we can do with prayer is allow God to check up on us by allowing enough time for him to speak to ask us questions, to give us report on our spiritual health. Um, you know, and searching-based prayer is, is a process of, of knowing and being known as God peels back our perceived wisdom, right? And so a lot of times getting everything we ask for would actually ruin us, okay? Why? A lot of times we're not asking for the right things, are we? And so there's an idea that much of God's plan is not clear to us. As mortal men and women with finite perspectives, (laughs) much of God's plan is not clear to us. Now, the big plan is, yes, but every little step along the way, we're waiting for God to reveal that to us. So what does that mean about our prayers? Well, first step is, is when we pray, we should tell God exactly why we believe what we're asking for is in line with his will. And we should tell God that these are the reasons why I think this is the best. But there should be a little element of uncertainty there. And as a response to that uncertainty, what you should tell God, and Scripture clearly says it, is we should tell God that if you desire something else, then I desire that as well. And your prayer life will change. Because it's not you saying, you know what, if I can can twist God's arm, if I can put him in my favor, get him to do what I want, right? What you want probably isn't in line with his will. Why? Because of premise one, your heart is deceptive. We lie to ourselves about who we are. And when you're lying about who you are, how misaligned do you think your goals are going to be? Right? And so when God checks up on us, he checks up on our Christ-like holiness, our wisdom, and how it's combining with faith and repentance to make us clear-sighted about our goals. So I want you to, to feel that, to struggle through that a little bit. Um, and, and it's an amazing thing uh, to let God search us. And that's what Psalms 139 says. The scripture we, we read this morning. That the psalmist says, Search me and know my heart. See if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why does the psalmist have to ask God to search his heart? Because he can't do it himself. That's, that's like saying, hey, does the back of my head look good? Yeah, it looks good. I can see it now. Most of the time, I can't see the back of my head. But that's the same thing. I can't check up on my own heart. Right? That's a person who's clinically crazy telling you that they're sane. You don't trust them, do you? You need another perspective. When we are deceived because of our sinful hearts, we need another perspective. And the psalmist says, search me, Lord, here I am. What does it mean to be searched? It means to be vulnerable. It means to open up and say, there's no place in my heart that you can't look. But if you're not praying like that, you're only just getting started in the benefits of prayer. But you start praying and asking God to search you, to question you, 
to ask you questions about your questions, whew, take you from me in these last seven, eight months, I have seen so much change, so much growth, so much victory and sin. I'm not done. I'll never be done. But praying like this really starts to change you. And I will argue that till the day I die. Um, and I'm so grateful for these elements that God's been teaching me. And I hope that you take root in some of these. So let's, let's get into how do we pray. Well, I would recommend that you prepare for it, okay? So what Jesus says, when he says what, what we should do, is he says that you should go to an inner room and meet with the Father, right? Well, what he's saying is that you should set aside some time to meet with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with uh, passive petitioning prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying throughout the day. No problem. But you need to have some set-aside time where you and the Father meet. And in order to, for that time to be effective, it's just like any other meeting in life. It's helpful to have an agenda, now, some people say, oh, man, don't get all that formal with prayer. I would, I, would, I would recommend get a little formal with prayer, okay? If you have a prayer log, if you have an agenda, then that'll make that time with the Father that much more productive. And here's what I recommend. Um, and this is me learning as I go, too, so maybe I'll recommend something different next time I preach on this. But right now what I'm doing is I'm in my phone, and I could read it to you, but I won't because it's embarrassing. But I have a prayer log of all the things that are causing me to have concern, my sins, all sorts of things. And, and, and Timothy Keller has a great point. He says that if we're not taking the things that make us sigh to the foot of the cross, to our meetings with the Lord, then those things are the things that the devil's gonna use against us to bring us harm. Think about that. As you're going through your day, tomorrow, today, whatever, and something catches you, something makes you sigh, something feels like, oh man, a little bit of anxiety starts to bubble up, that's a sign that that's something you need to document, put on your prayer log, and address with the Father when you have your set-aside time to meet with Him. And you know what that does? Is now you can start to see, hey, this is what was bothering me last week, or last month, or last year. How did God answer it? It is incredible to be able to go back through and say, I can clearly see how God worked through that. What seemed impossible in that situation, God worked through that. It is absolutely amazing. And also, if we're not looking at sin right, okay, so just like, uh, just like the, the, the things that make us sigh, if we're not bringing our sins before the Lord, um, then we're going to be in a little bit of trouble as well, okay? So there is that idea, as J.C. Ryle says, that, that sinning and prayer cannot live together in the same heart. That statement is so true. And so plan ahead some of the time, uh, some of the things that you will cover in your time together, and then look for ways God answered your prayers in the meantime. You shouldn't stay in the meantime forever, okay? You, sh you should get out of it at some point. God should answer it somehow. But you need to be um, proactive in looking for the ways in which God did answer your prayers, and that builds faith in him. Why? Because he's faithful, right? And then you start to trust him more and more. And that gets the, the whole process going. And so I want to lead you guys through uh, a couple of ideas here. Um, and in your notes, you see that. Admiration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Admiration. Um, it is a very, very good idea to start with admiration. And whenever I started praying through this, um, I could see that I struggled a lot, and I still struggle with this, because when I get into admiration, when I start to just try to admire the Father, um, when I just try to look at how beautiful He is and tell Him how great He is, 
um, I start to see uh, there's a little bit of trouble here. So I recommend starting out by spending a few minutes just admiring God. But when you do that, I challenge you to look at how difficult it actually is. Because your heart, if it's anything like mine, is gonna go right back inward, start looking at me again. When do I get to confess my sins? When do I get to ask him for things? Do not do that. Do not move to confession. Do not move to thanksgiving. Do not move to supplication until you spend a few moments just admiring God. And you'll start to see how selfish you actually are. That's, what I'm, that's the reports I'm getting, is I actually struggle to just spend a few minutes admiring God. Tell him how beautiful he is. Don't thank him for anything yet. Just tell him how beautiful he is, how good he is, how perfect he is, how holy he is. Does that make sense? And then you can get into confession. And if you're like me, this is gonna take a long time. You better get comfortable, okay? But when you're in the confession state, tell God exactly where you went wrong. This is a challenge. Because it's not just passively saying, yeah, I messed up a little bit this week. Yeah, I had some, had some bad thoughts. Or yeah, I probably gossiped. I'm not sure. Who can keep track? <laughs> no. Do your best to identify where you went wrong and tell God exactly where you went wrong. Have you ever heard that story of, hey, if you've ever gossiped about someone, don't just ask forgiveness, but go tell that person that you gossiped about them? Have you ever heard that? That's a good practice. Try that sometime. That'll make gossiping a lot harder next time if you continue that practice. And this is the same thing, that if I'm able to tell God exactly where I went wrong, you know what, the next time I try to get in that mess, I'm like, I can't claim ignorance now, right? It's all on the table. I've confessed it, not generally, but as specific as I could be. Now don't, don't turn into Luther here. Luther's my hero. <laughs> He would spend six to eight hours wearing out the confessional, okay? Don't, don't feel like you gotta get everything. But you should have some major things that you're in a war with. And you should be bringing those things to the meeting and saying, Lord, I am not doing well here. And if you don't help me, I'm toast. Okay, so just like the things that make us sigh, your sins, if you're not addressing them, the devil's gonna use those to bring you harm as well. So Isaiah 59, one through, 12, uh, one through two is, is, is an amazing piece of scripture and it's a convicting piece of scripture. It says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he is not here. Do you see that? This is a serious issue. Your sins actually keep your prayers from being effective. We have to deal with this element. And as, as JC says, prayer and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will kill sin or sin will choke out prayer. And this principle is absolutely true. And the times that I'm struggling most with my sins, guess what I'm doing least? Praying. And when I am praying, guess what I have less of a desire for? Sin. Doesn't mean it's all the way gone, don't get me wrong. But I have strength in that moment. But when I'm led off to slaughter, when my liver's getting pierced, as, as the psalmist says, right? My foot's in the noose, I'm in trouble. If I'm not praying, I'm done. And not only that, if I'm sinning, my prayers aren't gonna be heard by God. And he says that there's this divide that separates us. 
Super important. So after we've confessed, and if you've got any time left, which I hope you do, move on to Thanksgiving and thank God for redemption and good gifts. Okay, so just thanking him for redemption is a big one, right? That's, you could go all day thanking him for that. And that's a great response to confession because you're saying, you know what, I'm saved by grace. Through redemption, right, through the, God's plan of redemption, he says that I have paid the price for you. So we, 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 get, we beat ourselves a little bit up in, in the confession stage, but don't stay there. Don't, don't stay defeated. Move on to thank God for forgiveness. Thank him for his mercy. And then there's nothing wrong with thanking him for the good gifts, right? But if we just head straight to the circumstantial, materialistic things he's given us, we're still kind of missing it a little bit, right? I recommend a good follow-up to confession is thanks for grace. Because without it, what I just told you about would be the end of me, wouldn't it? You're perfectly within your right to, to, to have perfect justice on me, okay? And so uh, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think it's a beautiful idea. We're not just here as these drones and, and just this laborious process, okay? But we are actually um, to enjoy God and his good gifts. And so then you can move on to supplication, but ask God things for things, knowing that he's going to ask you about your asking, okay? Let that inform your supplication. There's nothing wrong. Don't be afraid to ask God for things. But just know that now he's going to ask you about your asking. And that'll change the way in which you pray, all right? And so major idea three, why should we pray? And I'll argue that it, cha- it may change your circumstances, but more likely it'll change us and our ability to see your circumstances for what they really are, okay? We're not just trying to twist God's arm. We're not trying to get him to conform. And we're not just trying to get our circumstances changed. We start to look at true prayer as saying, change me, change my perspective. Just like Nehemiah, four months at least of struggling, not just to change the circumstances, but to get his heart ready for the work that God had for him. That's what the process of prayer should look like. And prayer sanctifies us. Prayer kills sin, as we just said. And third, our major doctrine is prayer helps us know God as he checks up on us and exposes our true desires, leading us into a deeper knowledge of him and who we are in him. I want to end this morning with this idea of a spiritual battle that we all find ourselves in. And this is a quote from one of my favorite theologians, the Puritan scholar, John Owen. Not very many people read John Owen nowadays, but if you get a hold of it, you will not go back. Um, This is a quote from his book called Indwelling Sin and Believers, and it's an incredible book on what it looks like to be struggling with sin as a believer. And he says this, he says, Some find so little benefit in success in private spiritual exercises that they give up on them in favor of public duties. And this has led to complete apostasy in many professing Christians. Not knowing how to overcome their secret aversion, they neglect private prayer, first partially, then totally, until having lost all confidence about it, they go on to all kinds of sin and looseness, and finally to complete apostasy. And the reason for all of this is that giving way to the law of sin gives strength to it. Leaving it alone lets it grow. Not to conquer it is to be conquered by it. So you have a roommate living with you. It's called the law of sin. And he ain't ever leaving. And you may have a victory over your sin temporarily. But sin is like a nasty spider that'll crawl off into the corner and hide and be quiet. You won't even know it's there anymore. You think, I've got this. 
but it's just waiting for another opportunity to come and get you and come bite you. And so if you're not actively in a battle with sin in your life, as, as, as Owen says, to leave it alone is to let it grow. To not conquer it is to be conquered by it. You've got to realize the danger you're in. Because that sin is going to do what to your prayer? It's going to choke it out, isn't it? And so I want you to see this holistically. I want you to see that there's so much here to unpack with the idea of prayer. That there's a meantime. In between our asking and God's answering is a time of searching in the meantime. Where God's asking us questions about our asking. Where he's checking up on our spiritual health. And if you don't love to pray, I challenge you to look in your heart and you're going to find something. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find sin that needs to be dealt with. And I can tell you from experience, in the times that I did not want to pray, in the times I did not want to read the Word of God, you know what I was doing? I wasn't living right. And don't fool yourself. You're in a battle. And that enemy will not stop. And that enemy isn't just the devil. The devil is there, yes. He seeks to, to, to devour and destroy but there's someone who lives inside of you, right? This, what we call the law of sin that indwells us until the day of Christ Jesus when that'll be done away with. But until then, your battle never, ever stops. And one of the most effective ways to battle that sin is through prayer. And so when we're talking about spiritual disciplines that inform our split-second decisions, I can think of none better than prayer and I'm not just saying that because that was my topic. I truly believe that. Because prayer is what's going to help you be more effective in your scriptural study. Just going to, this, just going to the scriptures and studying, you can produce the clinical type of knowledge, can't it? I've met some brilliant scholars, brilliant liberal scholars who could tell you all of this, could quote it in the original tongue, smoke us, right? But did not know God. But prayer, you can't pray <laughs> without getting in touch with him. Does that make sense? So much more could be covered here, but I want to I lead us into a time of invitation. And, I, and I, ask you, I ask every one of you to stand right now. And as you stand, I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to think of the two Biggest sins in your life. I know that's uncomfortable. I'm not asking you to tell anybody else about it. I'm just saying, think of the two biggest sins in your life. And let me give you a little, little diagnostic here. If you can't think of any, you're in trouble. Right? You're already losing. So I want you to think of those. And this week, I want you to go to war against them. And I want you to go to the Father and tell him exactly where you went wrong. And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, we're not here to explain, you know, the meta-narrative of all of the theological principles that go into that. We're here simply to say, come, give your life to Christ. And then we can have conversations about the theology till the cows come home, guarantee it. But here in this moment, if you haven't done that, come to Christ. But if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, I want you to have those two sins I just asked you to think about in your heart and in your mind and I'm going to lead us through a quick confession time 
but I'm also gonna start with the admiration, then go into confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And then we're gonna be done here. But if you, need to, if you need to work on that, if you need to meet with God, you need to do whatever you've gotta do, get that stuff right. Because all the stuff that I've just told you about doesn't mean anything if you've got sin keeping you apart from God. That's whether you're a non-believer or if you're a believer who's unrepentant, okay? And I don't want to see any of my brothers or sisters lose this battle. I see too many of us fall all the time. I can't tell you how many people I counsel and I look and I say, what happened? Where did, how did you, I see myself and I say, what happened? I look at King David, what happened between chapter 10 and chapter 11, right? He's having victory and then Bathsheba, what happened? You're at war, whether you believe it or not. Just every eye closed. Good Father, you're so good. You're so high above us. Your ways are incredible. There's nothing that we can do apart from you. There's no battle that we can win without your aid. You're holy, righteous, and true. You're the same today, yesterday, and forever. You're the good Father. As Nehemiah says, the hand of my good God was upon me. Let that be said of us today, Lord, as we confess our sins, as we tell you exactly where we went wrong, we're sorry, Lord. We're sorry privately and we're sorry corporately. And we wanna change. We wanna become a place where you can dwell. And Father, I thank you so much for your plan of redemption. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that he could take jacked up people like us and impact the world. And Lord, I pray that that is our prayer, that our supplication is that we can be effective messengers of your message out into the community that we find ourselves living in, Lord. But where we find our strength is in our private time with you. As we're getting right with you, where we're cleaning out the garbage, Lord. We stop lying to ourselves about who we are. And we let you check up on us. Father, we love you so much. And is our prayer, Lord, that our love may abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ so we may be filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.